it. Played by Westbrook. Ginobili for three. Yes! One-point lead for San Antonio. Terry, a long three. Bang! Jason Terry gives the Mavericks a seven-point lead with 33 seconds remaining. Simmers bring it in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! Oh my goodness. Hello and welcome to another exciting, riveting episode of Six Man Podcast. Where we are here to spread the love and the joy of the IUPUI basketball team's unders every fucking time they play. Today we got it at 119 and a half. They're on pace to score 88 points. Cam, I know you didn't get a chance to bet on the game because you can't bet on Illinois teams, but you got to be feeling pretty damn good. It's a goddamn shame. I have one thing going for me in life, and it's riding the IUPUI under train. And Papa Pritzker took it away from me. And I gotta add one thing here. Wait, so uh, you can't you can't sports bet in Illinois? You cannot bet on college teams from Illinois in Illinois. That what? Was the, yeah, that was kind of the. That was kind of like the, the the. the the, the rule, the suggestion in order to get sports betting legalized in Illinois. The compromise. Yeah, was that any fun? You know, Mark, keep interjecting here. I got to add one thing. Purdue fucking sucks. How do you lose to Rutgers? Um, on a half-court desperation lob? I mean, God, I thought you being the IUPUI guy or the IU guy of all people would remember when they beat Kentucky on a half-court lob. That was not a half court. That was a corner three. Not it's even a very, a that was a well designed play, too. Yeah. Fine. Fine. I, what I say is it's a fluke. If anything, my question that I have is why Purdue played like absolute fucking dog shit to that point to make that possible? That's my question is because they played horribly all game. They looked like they were pulling away with. 10 minutes to go. They were up by 10. They were up by 10 with like five minutes to go. And then they let them back in it. And then, you know, you score a layup with three seconds to go in the game. And then you just decide to let the guy run down the court, just kind of let up. And like, it's like, guys, get your fucking head in the game, you know, lock it down, make sure that he can't get anywhere near the basket or anywhere near a shooting motion and then close out the game from there. But once again, is the uh, burden of Purdue and uh, high expectations. So I've learned to be, I have learned to not uh, believe the bullshit. What's absolutely crazy is that uh, Ron Harper Jr. uh, Like literally just like overnight, got on to the NBA big board. Like, I don't think anybody – The guy had a crazy game. And, it, I mean, it 
it's a bummer that it happened to be against Purdue, the one and probably only week they'll be at number one. So, I don't know. I uh, I hope for the best, but I've learned to temper expectations with Purdue basketball because I am let down time and time again. So, Speaking of being let down time and time again, it's time to talk about the COVID numbers. Uh, in every professional sport, it seems, the COVID numbers are outrageous, and they continue to be outrageous. I think the Kings just canceled all activities uh, with, like, five players entering protocols today. The Lakers have had issues. You know, the Pacers had a coach, and Justin Holiday. The Bulls have had their entire team. At some point, at some point, we have to consider a stoppage again if they actually care to do it. I mean, part of me would say I think they were tossing it around in the English Premier League soccer-wise, possibly just postponing everything until 2022, give it a couple of weeks to ideally cool down and get a grip on everything before it turns into just a downward spiral. And that might be a good call. Um, Just kind of wait until the holiday season's over and then reevaluate after that. I don't know. No, Mark, you're right. I mean, there's, there's four games that have been postponed this weekend in the EPL. I, I think there's a push to do exactly that, postpone it to, you know, about a week or so after New Year's, give everybody a chance to, you know, stay at home, do a little bit of the self-isolation, clean everything up. Um, the I, I, I think there's a little bit of an increased focus on testing at the moment. We've seen it in the NFL. The NFL has been testing heavily. There are teams that are heavily, heavily uh, affected by that. Saint, the St. Louis Rams currently have like 25 people um, on, on. Did you the, just say St. Louis Rams? The Los Angeles Rams have 25 people on you know, there. It's like zero people is, uh, I think, despite how god awfully they've, uh, they've been as a, you know, performing as a sports team this year, I think Seattle just has one person, which is wild. Yeah. You know, well, they put, they have two Tyler Locke and Alex Collins, both of them on my fantasy team. Um, so that'll be interesting for Sunday. Um, but, you know, going back to it, like, you know, the Washington football team have, has 20. I think the Browns are in the high teens. Um, the Chicago Bears, all three of their coordinators are on uh, the COVID list at the moment. Um, the, you know, if we look at hockey, there's been a couple teams that have been, that have had extended shutdowns. I think Carolina was shut down for 10 days. Um, the Canadians are back to playing. Um, they're going to be playing games in, under closed doors for, you know, the, for, for the next couple weeks. Um, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is absolutely a discussion that, you know, teams should, or leagues should be having, you know, even if it's just two or three weeks. The problem is, I think, the horse is kind of out of the barn here on a lot of their rules, on a lot of their protocols, on a lot of agreements that they have with their, you know, respective players associations. Um, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think 
we're going to continue to get kind of business as usual until it gets you know, absolutely untenable. Yeah. And that's, and that's literally how it is. And I, I think you're right. Cause I, I think if anything, I think soccer is much more likely to sort of call a timeout on things here in America. People don't give a shit. If business is still going semi-normally, then like they don't care. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it. I think, you know, Baker Mayfield had a series of tweets today um, talking about how kind of he perceived the just not necessarily, I don't want to call it like hypocrisy of the NFL. Um, I will, but, you know, actually think. I was going to say, we can talk about that. Yeah. Thinking about it for more than a second, I think that's pretty much like the perfect way. That's like the perfect way to describe the NFL. Um, But he said the Browns got tested after practice happened. Um, You know, it's one of those things. I, I think the league the leagues in general, I think this is kind of just a, we're just going to abide by our protocols at the moment. And, you know, we're not going to shut down unless, unless something gets extreme. They're definitely, I don't think they're keeping as current with it as they maybe should. I think they're still, it seems like operating under a lot of the same protocols as we had, you know, a year, year and a half ago. And it's like, that's great. But like, things are developing in real time. We got to keep on top of it. If you want to keep playing. Especially with this, you know, Omicron variant that, you know, is, has, has more, it seems to have more, um, you know, it. it, It's more transmissible from what I understand, but it is also less severe in terms of symptoms. It's, it's less, it, it seems, it seems to me that the vaccines are, you know, less responsive, it's, you know, less responsive to it. So I have my booster appointment scheduled for the point uh, next, next week, 22nd. Good reminder. Um, I got to do that now. <laughs> that was the first time I was able to get in for it here in Chicago. Uh, I'm going to hope that protection kicks in so I can go see some, you know, go see some family members. I believe all of my other family members have it uh, that I'm going to be seeing on Christmas, which is nice. Um, so it's just one of those things, you know, Zach, I, I, the, you, the point you raised, I think, yes, it is certainly time to discuss um, a, what I would say, maybe like a two to four week pause on, you know, on the NFL, on the NHL, on the NBA, um, you know, on European soccer, European soccer is probably more likely here in the, in the, you know, in the U.S., I think maybe, the NHL does it because the Canadian government is a little bit more responsive to it than we are. You know, the NBA probably just moves Toronto to, to Orlando again for the next couple months. And uh, the NFL is probably just going to plow on right ahead. Yeah, man. Got to keep on keeping on. And I mean, one last thing to like add to this is like, we're also forgetting that, like, COVID's also just, like, not going anywhere at all. I mean, NCAA's having issues with it. I mean, IUPUI's had a mask mandate since early last year, and, like, that ain't going away anytime soon. We're still in masks. Any inside building, you know, 
anywhere in a large crowd of people. It's uh, it's interesting to say the least. Hopefully we get it figured out. I mean, I don't hold my breath with this. I, I, I just don't. I don't. I don't trust. I don't trust anybody with this shit. Let's talk about Steph Curry. Yeah. yeah. Um, at this point, the greatest shooter, and I don't think anybody's ever denied this. Just by far the greatest shooter to ever play the game of basketball. Uh, yes, I will agree with that. Greatest pure scorer, I don't think so, but shooter, yeah, definitely. And, and I got to say, another like thing with this is, you know, Scott Agnes did talk about how if Reggie Miller got to shoot the same volume of threes when he was in the league, he would have hit over 4,800 in his career. Who are we talking? So Scott Agnes, a Pacers reporter, said that if, Mm-hmm. Uh, Reggie Miller shot the same amount of threes as Steph Curry did every game on average, then he would be hitting around 4,874 threes. So Steph would have a lot more work to do. That being I mean, said, it doesn't NBA matter. It's very different from what it was back in 80s and 90s. So, Yeah, I know Reggie Miller said on the, on the broadcast of the game of the Knicks um, – Warriors game when he did break the the record that his rookie year, I believe teams on average were shooting five threes a game. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It really is. I don't, I don't know what the you know what the metrics are. You know, if Ray Allen would have shot nine a game, where he would be. But one thing is, is we cannot take away from the fact that Steph has literally changed the game. I mean, I literally watched Chicago State in the first half against IUPUI shoot 74 three-pointers, collect long rebounds, and shoot them again. And I'm telling you, if Steph Curry never happens to the game of basketball, I don't think that that amount of three, that like that volume of threes ever – comes to fruition i think it really took these oh he revolutionized the game of basketball and and cam you could speak to this more than i think anybody can um cam and march madness what or cam and march madness stefan march madness was unbelievable right he was literally like yeah he got he got davidson to the elite eight his junior year um you know, it, it's one of those things. I think, you know, college was obviously, I think, was a little bit ahead of the NCAA or in, in the NBA in terms of that, where, um, you know, the, obviously they have a shorter three-point line, so you were seeing a higher volume of it. Um, but it's one of those things where, you know, it, the, the formula, I think, it has been there, has been in the game since around, like, 2005. I, I think really the – one time that you really saw it where everyone has kind of said, this is how you're going. This like, this is going to change the way the game is played. I think it was 2004, 2005 when, when Northern Iowa beat Kansas in the first round. And I think, uh, you know, Northern Iowa's highest scorer only like only shot three pointers that entire game. So you have somebody come into the league with, you know, who is as a proficient three-point shooter Steph with, with a team that is going to allow him to take threes, you know, when, you know, when maybe that's not where the analytics were pointed, you know, in his, you know, rookie year in the beginnings there. Um, but 
you know, it's, it's absolutely changed the game. You, you see the, it, there are legitimate roles in the NBA now of like even just corner three specialists of somebody like, you know, uh, Joe Harris, you know, or um, Steve Novak from the New York Knicks. He, he made a lot of money just being able to spot up a corner three in the NBA. And I think a lot of this is Steph. You know, you find somebody who can shoot, you know, 40% from three and you give them a lot of volume, you know, I, I think more often than not, they're going to be able to hit three or four, you know, threes a game. You know, I think, you know, somebody like Duncan Robinson is, is going to be kind of the next example where if you want to talk about Steph's volume and compared to, you know, Reggie Miller's volume, 10 years from now, what are we going to be saying about Duncan Robinson's volume and compared to Steph's volume? So it, it's just one of those things, you know, you have to give up props. It's, it is Steph Curry. It is Clay Thompson. The Splash Brothers changed the game. Congratulations to Steph. You know, he's going to probably hit 4,000 in his career pretty easily as long as he continues to stay healthy. And now you're going to, but, but like I said, you're, you have a bunch of people coming up behind him who are probably going to be shooting even more threes than he is. And I think that's going to be with the way the game is played. You know, you've seen analytics kind of shying people away from taking long twos you know, that we were seeing in the, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s, um, you know, how many points, how many, you know, shots would, you know, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant have if they had stepped out a couple more feet? It's, it's, it's crazy to think of. And, you know, Steph has really kind of paved the way and opened a lot of people's eyes for that. Not only that, but you got to factor in who he was drafted by. I know you kind of hinted at this, but like the Warriors, uh, I believe at the time where the the executive was Chris Mullen. So you're already talking about a guy who was favorable to three-point shooting. Then you talk about the players that were already there before Steph gets there. Jason Richardson, Baron Davis, Stephen Jackson, Troy Murphy, Matt Barnes. All these guys, even Monte Ellis to an extent, you would expect to see a lot of three-point volume from. Um, even, you know, Matt Barnes, players like that. And so when Mullins is there, you know, that's what he does. He builds this, you know, team with Don Nelson based around three-point shooting. And then, of course, Steph gets there. And for lack of better terms, I mean, the the sky was the limit with Steph Curry. Um, really, really awesome there. Now, Mark, I got to say, uh, you also, <clears throat> you know, I've talked about this in the past. Uh, watching the uh, kind of the golden age of the Pacers maybe growing up a little bit here. Do you think the Pacers would have been better if Reggie was just chucking up a bunch of threes per game? Um, I don't know. Um, I think the thing is with how basketball is played nowadays – I think if he was playing in today's era, you could get away with chucking up a lot more threes just because I think the stats analysis that teams use today in terms of either in the paint or three ball and nothing really in between statistically is your best, you know, approach to it. Um, But I think also the way the game is played now, how it's faster pace you know, kind of the Golden State small ball. I know it's, you know, changed a little bit from that, but we're kind of still in that era 
Um, you could do it now. I don't know if you could really do it back in the 80s and 90s because you still had a lot of those teams playing, you know, the Detroit Pistons, smash mouth, bad boys, basketball, just pounding the shit out of you. And if you shoot threes, it's great, but there's a good chance, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they would have – I because the thing is, I think with that is unless you're just absolutely money, which Reggie Miller, obviously one of the greatest three-point shooters of all time, I think having a more diverse skill set of players, I think, would help helped you better back then than maybe it does now, if that makes sense. So I got a stat for you guys, and I want you to tell me if this is surprising at all. So uh, three-point field goals attempted in, in, in this current season – Steph is currently is attempting 13.4 three-pointers three pointers a game. The next highest is Buddy Heal at 9.9. Um, if, if I go back to the – if I use this website, so this is teamrankings.com, the furthest they have back is 2007. Uh, Ray Allen was attempting eight per game. And he was probably, you know, miles ahead of everybody else too back in 08 or 07. If you look at, if you just look at this, there are 15 more, there are 15 players who are in, in this season who are attempting more than eight three pointers a game. Yeah. I mean, I guess you, if you play the percentages, then like if Reggie Miller were playing now, you could probably see him scoring somewhere in that neck of the woods. The transition. Do we, do we have stats on in terms of how many he that Reggie was taking average in a game? This website is only going back to like 2007. But oh, even if man. you look at the stats from like 2007 to, you know, 2013-ish, like the amount, the actually the amount of three-pointers was dropping in that time. And then in 2013, you have Steph, his first year leading the league in three pointers attempt at almost eight. And now, and then it's just continuing to grow up. Um, I, yeah, you'd probably have to look and see like on some of the, so, like what Reggie's like peak. 4.7. 4.7 attempts a game. 4.7 attempts per game. Absolutely crazy that Steph is literally shooting three, three times, times more. Yeah. yeah. And it's keep in mind, insane. Reggie was shooting at almost uh, 40% for his entire career. I mean, there were seasons where he's at 43%, which is unbelievable. And his effective field goal is always around 55%. But to me, I think the thing that stands out the most is how Steph's game has also allowed other people to get back into the game. Players who have been out of the league for so long and I'm going to start with Isaiah Thomas. Uh, just announced today signing a contract with the Lakers. I don't know the details. No one really has published them that I've seen. All I know is that Isaiah Thomas scored uh, – sorry, Isaiah Thomas scored 42 points in the G League last night. And, uh, well, he's, he's, back in, he's back in the NBA. So – uh, he's officially a Los Angeles Laker. We'll see what happens if he 
sticks around or not. I think he will, but we we, we shall see for sure. Obviously. Um, but again, somebody who lives and dies with he's back in the league. It's good to see him back. You know, he he's a guy who I, I think unfairly kind of got ran out of some certain situations, and you know, I, I think he was you know, like good in Boston, you know, he was good in Sacramento. Um, it, like, it's, like I said, it's good, good to see him back. I, one quick thing that I have to, I was looking up the stats when you transitioned. So the most three pointers Reggie Miller ever attempted in one season was 536. The most he made ever in one season that same year was 229. So that was, 42, about 42 and a half percent from three. Steph in the 2015-2016 season attempted 886 three-point shots and he made 402. It's the Steph effect, man. And you see it all across America. You get these high schoolers and all I do is chuck up threes and you get these collegiate athletes, same thing. Cam, we know you're a three-point specialist, right? Of course. But, you know, is it good for the game as a whole? I mean, you played a lot of rec league down at IU. You think it's a it's a good thing that people are just running around chucking threes? You know what? I don't I, I don't mind it. You know, you were saying I, there's actually so when I was in, I got an interesting story before I talk about any rec league heroics. Um, that that well, I was a senior in high school and I helped coach my old middle school's eighth grade boys team. Uh, they had eight players and only one of the dads was able to help coach. So I, I, help, I helped coach. I was the assistant. I went to every practice. I even got to coach one half you know, by myself because my, the, the coach who was the head coach, he was a lawyer. He had, had to miss the first half of the game. Uh, I threw the most exotic defenses I could think of at this public middle school that we were playing. But one of the kids who I really, two of the kids that were on my team were basically three point specialists. You, you know, it, I think it, it trickles down to, you know, all levels of basketball. And I think, if you can step out and make that three and add it to your game, and some of the times that is really some of the only game that somebody may have, um, I, I think it is good because I think you're getting more people to play. You know, obviously there are a lot of, you know, philosophies that we can get into about like, you know, spreading the floor and, you know, at kind of how you're moving on offense, whether that's, you know, part of a, you know, just like a simple, you know, cut once, cut twice, you know, generate some movement in eighth grade basketball, or, you know, that's all the way up to, you know, running the triangle in, you know, in the NBA. It's, I think you're providing spacing, you're, you know, you're creating more specialists. And, you know, I think that, like I said, the analytics support taking a three over a long two at pretty much any level of, of basketball. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily see it as a problem. You know, like I said, it's, you know, that's how some of these NCAA teams may create upsets in the, you know, in the NCAA tournament, they are volume three point shooters that live by the three die by the three. 
you know, if they can get it to fall, they can upset teams. You know, I think, you know, we, we saw it with, uh, you know, Wofford the past couple of years. They had uh, Storm Murphy, who's now at Virginia Tech, who it, he was purely like a volume three-point shooter. He was a three and D guy. And, you know, that's how they were able to kind of dominate their conference for a few years. So I, I don't mind it. I, I think it's I, I think it's good for the game. And, you know, like I said, I think you're maybe training some people to be better shooters, which you, know, you always need. In addition, you're throwing out these kind of intricate offenses that where you basically get one big guy in the middle to go get rebounds and you just hope he's athletic enough and jump high enough to collect them. And then you have four guys on the outside he can kick it out to on an offensive board. Um, I've, I've been watching the Chicago State IUPUI game in a separate screen while recording this. And that is one thing I think Chicago State, even though they're a really bad team, I think they're like 355th in the nation, according to Ken Bombs, and everything. That is one thing I'm intrigued with their team is they spread the floor like nobody's business. I mean, it's literally like one guy who's like 6'9 to 6'11 and then four guys who are going to chuck a three up and he's his sole job is to grab a rebound. It, they're killing IUPUI with it. IUPUI has been in a matchup zone most of, most of the first half and now all the second half. It, it's killing them because they don't have a guy who matches up with 6'11 and grabs the ball. I mean, Chicago State it has 14 offensive rebounds so far. The, you know, they have more offensive rebounds. They have four, four, uh, the more offensive rebounds than uh, IUPUI has rebounds. So it's like, it's, you know, it, I, like I said, there's a, a deeper philosophical kind of offensive strategy that we can speak to of, you know, how the three-point shot creates spacing, um, you know, and if you have a guy who can, you know, rebound in the middle, you can have somebody potentially, you know, backdoor rebound, you know, you get these long rebounds, you reset the clock, you get back into your set, and you find the best shot, and I think a lot of the times, you know, the, the th- three-point off of movement or off of a screen, you know, can be the best shot. You know, we just saw IUPUI, you know, kind of like this, you know, it kind of be stagnant on offense um, and just have a kind of a, what a bad percentage kind of dribble up step in three that they missed. Um, you know, it's it's a weapon that you can use, you know, the same as like come, like a, a pick and roll or pick and pop. I mean, there's always going to be there's always going to be room for a, a big like, you know, Nikola Vucevic who can step away on a pick and pop and drill a, you know, a long two from the, you know, from the free throw line extended, you know, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that you have three point shooters who can come off of a screen or, you know, come off of some ball movement or just really pick and pop like Steph, just pull up from anywhere on the court. And I think it is test- testament that we were able to kind of just, you know, ramble at length or talk at length about just what a three pointer, a three point shot can do you know, for the game of basketball. And I think we can attribute that a lot to, you know, to Steph Curry, to Clay Thompson, to the Splash Brothers, because that's where we're really seeing the volume explosion come from. And everyone, well, you know, in my, generation, in my generation, everybody went to the gym. Everyone tried the fadeaway twos, the Kobe's of the world. And now I think you're seeing 
kids model their game more after Steph Curry and try and, you know, be these prolific, uh, proficient three-point shooters. And we're not even, like, we're not talking about the Dame Lillard of the world. We're not talking about Jordan Poole, who's also averaging, you know, I think like seven attempts a game. Or, you know, again, Buddy Heald, who you talked about earlier, averaging almost 10 po- or ten shots, 10 three-point shots a game. It's so many people in the NBA. I think, you know, it, it, it's so polarizing compared to where basketball used to be. But, but it, I think it is really actually a good thing for the game because – Three points is larger than two points. If you hit them at the same clip, well, you're going to win. Ultimately. And your math is uh, spot on. And, and again, I, it's not only that, but like it's either you get three points the easy way by hitting a three or you get it the hard way by getting a two plus one. That's what we've seen the NBA become. We saw it with the Houston Rockets where they played a six, five guy at center. And what, do you, what would he do? Grab an offensive rebound and get fouled on his way back up or you know, he would grab the offensive board, kick it out to somebody for free. Like, it's those kinds of things where it's that, – that's what basketball is right now. And, and I actually do think it's a lot more in-depth and a lot more enjoyable than people give it credit for. Those uh, those offensive rebounds getting hacked on the way up, those were the type of threes that you were talking about when you were describing me, right? Because that was pretty much my, my, middle, my middle school career and then my high school and – college and a mural career I made two I I think I was two for two three like true three-point shooting as far in any competitive game as far as I can remember and that's the the, and that covers the spectrum of of my playing days look I mean it's better than the last time I hooked with Mark where I'm pretty sure Mark hit three shots the entire afternoon so I want to transition to one last thing. Uh, not my gonna... not my strong suit, but you know what? I'm okay at running, so I'll take it. Hey, you could be the best Tony Snell impersonator of all time. <laughs> also, uh, played so many games, just getting paid to run. Also, uh, speaking of impersonations, uh, I was told yesterday by I cannot. I had I would need more fingers to count on. The number of people that I've worked with in construction that all say they're like, you know who you look like? You know that guy from Gold Rush? And I'm like, I do know that guy from Gold Rush, and you're not the first person to tell me that. Damn it, Mark. Parker Schnabel for life. I think it's time we transition to my favorite time of the week, the Ben Simmons trade of the week. Oh, I thought you were going to say rip on Herb Simon. Rick Carlisle and the Pacers time of the week? No, not yet. Uh, not yet. This week, this week's Ben Simmons <laughs> trade of the week is involving a three-team deal that would send the lowly Ben Simmons to Indiana and Gordon Hayward goes to Philly and Miles Turner and Karis LeVert go to Charlotte. Here's my thought process. Mm. Indiana fucking sucks right now at basketball. They're about they're about to lose the Pistons tonight, folks. The yeah. Pistons. Pistons are four and twenty-two. The Pistons are literally only behind six points because. Oh wow! We yeah. Well, no, we're up by up by six. Yeah. 
They're only they're only wow, up we're six. on pace to score 140. Holy shit. Damn it, Mark. Let me finish my sentence. Okay, continue. I I think the, the big thing with I think the big thing with uh this trade that I am most intrigued by is Gordon Hayward's fit next to Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid. I personally like it. I think that he can stretch a defense enough, and he's a good enough passer. But I could also question the fit here, but I think in the end it makes all three teams pretty happy. The Hornets get a good center and Karis LeVert. Pacers get Ben Simmons and, of course, take a flyer on Jalen McDaniels. And the Sixers get three first-round picks, a shooter in Justin Holiday, and Gordon Hayward. What say you can? You know, I I, I think I, I question the fit a little bit in Philly. Um, I think, you know, the Charlotte would probably do it. You know, I think to get somebody like Miles Turner would be, you know, really good for them. Um, Indy, obviously, you know, could use a Ben Simmons type, you know, could use somebody who – unclogs the you know their system a little bit more a little bit um it, i philly though i i i question the fit for them i, I think again this is going to be one of those things and i know there's a really good article on espn that's kind of describing the timeline of the ben simmons philadelphia drama that i would definitely suggest everybody go read um I don't see Philly really – I think Philly will wait out the year on Ben Simmons. I, I, I really do. And I think if, if a trade is going to happen, I think it's going to happen uh, this offseason. Can they waste a year where Embiid is currently not injured, though? That's my fear. You know, Embiid's always had injury history, and especially looking at the team right now getting their ass beat by – a Nets team that's missing literally half their roster. I question if you can waste a season of Embiid being legitimately healthy at the moment, at least, um, by not having a guy like a Ben Simmons or, in this case, not having a guy like Gordon Hayward on your team. Um, I I just – Sorry, can they – no, I, I, especially if, you know, depending on, especially like, especially depending on where, like Brooklyn may not have Kyrie Irving all year, um, you know, I, uh, Chicago may or may not have the depth to really compete at a fine, you know, at a final, at a conference finals level. You know, you're absolutely right. This may be, you know, this may be the year that Philly can you know, push all of its all of its chips in the middle and and go for it and get their championship. However, I think we we've seen it. I think you know the ownership and the general management situation in Philly. I think they are. I think they will be more than happy to wait Philip to wait Ben Simmons out. And I think really the biggest problem is I think the rest of the NBA is going to be more than happy to wait Ben Simmons out because I think the asking price is still going to be too high at the trade deadline, especially for a team that, you know, is a contender 
that you know may have some flexibility that can pick up Ben Simmons. It's not going to be cheap, and I don't think it's going to get cheap until the. I think it's not going to get cheaper, uh, in you know before until after the trade deadline. And Mark, I, I'm well aware that you have premised the thought of Ben Simmons in Indiana in the past. Right now, we're watching this Pacers team struggle. The owner clearly doesn't understand a damn thing about basketball. And it's rumored that Sabonis, Turner, and Levert all went out of their contracts. So now let's say, what say you here, Mark? Is this a good deal for the Pacers? If you are the you know, if if you had the opportunity to approve this deal, what say you? So the Pacers lose Miles Turner and who was it you said going to Charlotte? They lose Miles Turner and Lavert to Charlotte, and then they trade Justin Holiday and okay. a first round pick to Philly. And all they get in return is Ben Simmons. And Jalen McDaniels, but yeah, basically they get only Ben Simmons. <laughs> Sorry, Jalen McDaniels. You're a human being too. Um, I mean, at this point, like, I'd be interested to see how it works out if that something like that were to happen. I mean, I think we we talked last time around about just it's gotten to the point where I think just blowing it all up and you know seeing where all the blown pieces stick might be where we need to go from here because it's. It's not good. I mean, they beat Dallas the other night, but that was what without Luca. No, Luca played. They they beat Dallas, and since then they lost to the Bucks without Giannis and Chris Middleton. It's just and... it's so hit or miss. It like sometimes looks like you can't tell if people like want to show up and play basketball or they're like, nah, I'm kind of thinking about getting a beer afterwards. Like, what do you guys say? Like, let's get through the rest of this, you know, fourth quarter and then like hit the bar. But it, cause it, I mean, it honestly looks like sometimes people want to play and sometimes it's just lackadaisical or, you know, out here on this court cause we have to be. So I don't know. I, it'd be interesting to see. Um, that to me seems like a lot of pieces to give up for Ben Simmons, who I don't rate particularly high. Um, but at this point, like, I mean, I think as we've discussed earlier, I think everybody is potentially on the trading block, depending on what you can get. Like, I don't, I don't see anybody on this Pacers team as untradeable. Um, I mean, maybe Malcolm Brogdon, I think he would be your piece that you build around but i don't know uh, according to uh scott agnes the fieldhouse files the two untouchables are isaiah jackson and chris duarte they think they have something really special in both of these players i take that back duarte yeah yeah i mean honestly yeah i think they finally drafted well which you know figures that the one year they draft well it ends up kind of going to shit anyway but Hey, you know what? It means we're gonna get another, you know, decent pick to go with Duarte, right? <laughs> I mean, Cleveland's as much as we've trash talked Cleveland in years past, post LeBron James, I think they've done a really good job in terms of rebuilding and like building out that roster with draft picks. 
I mean, God, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Evan Mobley, and then the trades that they got to get Jared Allen and some of those other pieces in there, like they've managed that team so much better than the Pacers have. Lori Markkinen has definitely, I, I would say, found a – it seems like he's in the middle of a revitalization. Yeah, it's just like they, they've they somehow figured out what a lot of other teams don't seem to, which is finding good pieces in the draft that actually fit together and then picking up guys here and there that also fit into that system well. So, And, I mean, that roster is still very young to where – they might not make the playoffs. I think they have an outside chance of making the playoffs. Um, I don't know what the stands are looking like right now, but like if not this year, they're not very far away. And they're I think fourth in the East right now. Yeah, they're eighteen and twelve. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, for my wife's sake, they can continue that. Um, for my dusty Kyle Corver jersey sitting in the closet, they can continue that. Um, but yeah, I mean. I think they are much closer to doing something in the playoffs than the Pacers are right now. Like as as blasphemous as that may say may seem. So here, here's another um, interesting thing. Of course, um, yesterday was the first time in like eight years that the Pacers ownership actually sat down with reporters, and Herb Simon is the oldest and longest tenured owner in the NBA. Uh, he's 87 so good basically a senile old man at this point and (laughs) it appalled me that he had the balls to say we can win with this team like look these people in the eyes that we can win with this team we have a good team here the fans don't want to see a rebuild the fans don't want to tank and i laugh at him because they have at best a bunch of B to C level players at best. Yeah, I think Duarte has a chance to be like an A minus, but even he would be like a strong two, like a again, like basically what you would consider Clay Thompson. Like you would never say Clay Thompson's the alpha on a team, but no. like one of the best twos of all time. That's what Duarte's ceiling is. Well, you look at the rest of the team. Brogdon's like a really good third option. Sabonis is a really good playmaker as a third option. Lavert is a really good fourth through sixth option. Like, it, can, I, can I butt in real? I, I, I think Sabonis is a, it, if we're talking about like, okay, you have like your superstars, you have like your LeBrons, your Kevin Durant's, you know, as like a, let's call them even like a zero if we're going to go or like an S tier Sabonis is for sure. I think if you got the right one, Sabonis would be a really good two. And it's at the thing it's, it's when you're talking the biggest problem teams like the Pacers have is they don't have a clear number one option. And no. I would, I, I think, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. You can see a lot of this in roster construction throughout the NBA. I think for a long time, the Bulls did not have a, a, a real number one option. Then they went out and got Zach Levine. Then they didn't really have a good number two option. And then you get DeMar DeRozan and Lonzo Ball, and now things are starting to fall into place for them. I, I think the, the, the issue is 
with the Pacers is like, if you want Sabonis to be your alpha, I, it's, it's never necessarily going to work with Miles Turner. It's no, that's always been the problem. I I think with, you know, with the Pacers that, or you have to go out and get a wing who can, who can be your number one option. And it's, you know, I I don't think they have that yet. So, you know, it's, it's one of the things like the, the Pacers roles are just, you know, kind of out of whack. I I just had to butt in, in terms of that. No, I think you make a good point. I think the Pacers have a, if we're talking like sort of a pyramid construction, they've got a pretty solid, like, you know, three through five layer of that base layer, but they don't really have anybody toward the top that can really like lead them to great things. So I think, I think that's a valid point. But my last comment on the Pacers for the NCAA is that something has to change. I don't care what it is. You can. <laughs> There, there, something has to change because otherwise they are going to finish dead last attendance. And the last time the Pacers were even this low in attendance was in the eighties. So let's keep that in mind. In the gym, depressing because those FloJo eighties uniforms were gas. In the Jim O'Brien era, when the Pacers arguably were one of the worst teams to watch in professional basketball, they weren't even this bad in attendance. But now it's time to talk about Cam's favorite part of the show. Cam, let's talk about the Crossroads Classic. Notre Dame against IU, uh, I believe, is the first game of the Classic. Any chance IU should be on upset alert? I, I, I mean, yes, no. It's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I, I think, you know, there are a lot of people who are a lot higher on Notre Dame you know, coming into this year, it's, you know, they are a good team. I think they are a lot better. You know, I do think that, you know, IU is coming off of, you know, obviously there, there still may be, they, there still may be a little bit of funk hanging off of them, you know, after that Wisconsin loss, you know, they were able to really kind of beat the brakes off of Merrimack, but that came after a, you know, relatively weak first half. Um, so it's one of those things, you know, Notre Dame is coming off of, you know, the win against Kentucky, uh, the, the, the upset win. But, you know, before that, they had the loss to Texas A&M. They had a loss to Illinois. And then they had a loss to Boston College. So it's one of those things where, you know, it, there's going to be a bit of a style difference. I think Notre Dame is probably going to want to slow the pace down. Obviously, you know, Mike Bray is famous for taking the air out of the ball. Um you know, if Notre Dame can do that, if they can keep the, if they can, you know, prevent Indiana from running, if they can, you know, get somebody on Trace Jackson Davis and really disrupt, you know, the Hoosier offense, then yeah, I think, you know, Indiana definitely has something to be concerned about. But, you know, if IU can, you know, keep the pace, if they can dictate how they want to play, then I think IU, you know, IU should have a, you know, should, you know, kind of leave, um, Gamebridge Fieldhouse with a with a win. You know, I'm not sure exactly what the spread is on that game, but you know, like I said, I think it's going to be it's going to kind of be a style versus style, you know, matchup there. I think it'll probably open at like six, six and a half, honestly, um, just because I think IU is the better team, even though Notre Dame did just beat a top ten team in Kentucky, um, and I think 
people in Indiana and odds makers know that I use just the better team and Notre Dame, honestly, they've gotten lucky. They've beaten Kentucky twice in the last two years. So I would like to see Xavier Johnson really bounce back in this game. He had the, you know, the rough performance uh, against Wisconsin. I think this is going to be, you know, this, you know, like I said, it, it's easy to, um, you know, shake the rust off when you're playing a team like Merrimack. Let's see how you do against, you know, a, a team like Notre Dame. You know, he was three for five against Merrimack. You know, I, you know, he had uh, four assists. Let's see if we can, you know, kind of bump those numbers up a bit and, uh, and you know, see what he can do against uh, the Irish. Now, Mark, you, <laughs> Purdue let all of us down. Um, Cam with his gambling money. Yeah, I thought, what was it, 11 and a half? Uh, 12 and a half, 12 and a half. I'm sorry, guys. Um, you're going to ask me on how I feel this weekend, them playing Butler. Um, well, considering they got, they dug themselves into a fairly large hole against NC State this past weekend, dug themselves back out of it, forced overtime and won in overtime. I mean, I guess it shows character, but like, God, it's not the way that I prefer to do it. I prefer to be up by 10 at halftime and then just start burying teams second half. But that being said, I think they'll be fine against Butler. But Cam, I'm sure you have an opinion here as well. Obviously, we talked a little bit about Butler's heroic win against Oklahoma and then their kind of lackluster win against Marty Simmons, Eastern Illinois squad. I'm all too familiar with Marty and how he likes to play annoying ass defense and like, doesn't like to score. So not surprised that he only scored like 54 in that game. But now Cam, I asked you, uh, should Purdue be kind of on upset alert with this Butler squad who has a really good defensive uh, squad or is uh, should, should Butler realize that they're going to get ran out of the gym? I, I, I don't necessarily believe that Purdue should be on upset alert. Obviously, this we've had a crazy season just in the first month of college basketball. So I think anything can happen to anybody. I don't feel that Butler is going to be able to match up with Zach Eady or Trevion Williams or really anybody uh, on Purdue's roster. I think Purdue is it, it's going to be – you know, like we've been saying, it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts from Purdue in that they're so deep. Anybody on that Purdue team, there's seven, probably seven or eight people that can single-handedly beat you on that Purdue roster. I don't think Butler has the depth um, to hang with them. Obviously, you know, like I said, it's another style versus style. If Butler can play good defense and, you know, force Purdue to, to, hit, to hit tough shots, you know, then, then we're talking, you know, if Butler can get Purdue in foul trouble, get Edie and Trevion Williams out of the game or, you know, make him sit down for a while, then we're talking, you know, then, you know, something may happen. But like I said, I, I think Purdue probably sh- should probably win this game by double, di- double digits without being too worried about it. If I had to guess, odds makers will probably set this line somewhere in the neighborhood of Nine and a half, maybe ten and a half. I know. Yeah, I mean, I know Purdue does not do well against double-digit dogs. So, 
Yeah, I guess it's one of those where it's like, at the end of the day, your team's got to show up and play their team. So, it, and I, you know, Purdue should be, I think, should be fine. Like we've all made that point, but at the same time, like you still got to go out and do it. So, yeah, that'll definitely be a really fun game to watch for sure. Let's transition to this. Baylor's now number one in the country. I think they were unanimous number one, if I'm not mistaken. Purdue slipped all the way to number three. I here's my here's my takeaway with Baylor. They have one of the most impressive defenses I think I have ever seen in college basketball. They did last year, and I don't think people realized how good they were. And now we're sitting here, and it looks like they are on pace again to just be so good on defense that you're not going to score against them. Cam, is Baylor, or should Baylor be the the title favorite? Do you still think it's Gonzaga or Duke? So I, I think Baylor was overlooked by a lot of people at the beginning of the year. I think there was a lot more attention on uh, Gonzaga, UCLA, Purdue, Duke, maybe even like Alabama. Um, you, you know, I, they they were they're the defending national champions. They deserve respect. I think they are finally getting the respect. Um, I, you know, whether that was, you know, maybe a lackluster strength of schedule, uh, to open up until, you know, they had, you know, a 17 point victory against Michigan state, obviously a 21 point victory against Villanova held them to only 36 points, which is, you know, really tough to do. Um, they have a game against Oregon this weekend. And then, you know, they, you know, kind of dive into the part of their big 12 schedule. They open up against Iowa state who Iowa state currently undefeated uh, as well at the moment, as at the moment. Um, So, yeah, I I think this is a team that, you know, there have been three or four teams that have been number one this year so far, whether that be Gonzaga or Duke or Purdue um, each of them have kind of gotten a, a chance to be that number one team. They have lost, um, you know, and I, I think Baylor, out of, of so far of the number one teams that I've seen, Baylor certainly looks the strongest. Now, you know, where that, you know, whether or where, or where that, you know, kind of leads them um, in terms of, you know, strength or in terms of, um, you know, their championship favorites. I think, you know, obviously we've seen that, you know, Scott Drew knows what he's doing. Um, You know, it's, you know, he's able to, he's, he's trusted. He knows he's got a system. He's going to stick to it. You know, you're not necessarily seeing, you know, one person step up from Baylor, even on, on like a team that's, you know, as deep as Purdue, you have, you have a clear superstar or two in Jaden Ivey and Trevion Williams. You know, right now there are four people on, you know, Baylor's team that are averaging double digits. LJ Cryer is their leading scorer at 14.6, but he's averaging less than 25 minutes a game. You know, you're seeing, you know, Baylor has a like eight or nine man rotation. They're going to get people to play. Um, you know, people are going to get their minutes, but again, they're able to play defense on you, 
they're able to move the ball around and you don't know who's going to be able to beat you on a, on a night to night basis. And again, with Scott drew, that makes, that could make for a very dangerous, you know, Baylor team. One of the teams you did talk about there was Alabama and uh, they just suffered their uh, second loss of the season to a Memphis team who I was really high on coming into the year. They've not impressed me at all come, you know, since, and then they, Kind of dog walked Alabama. Um, is this a Memphis is better than I thought, or Memphis is better than they appeared, or is this a Alabama is a little overrated? I don't think that either of those questions are correct. I think that uh, Memphis caught Alabama a little flat-footed. Alabama had the pretty dramatic victory, coming off the heels of a pretty dramatic victory against Houston. Obviously, they, you know, beat Gonzaga. And I think Memphis kind of just out Alabama, Alabama. You know, they had a much more, you know, they scored 92 points. You know, Alabama had been in the, 80s and then had been in the 80s and the 90s pretty much all but one or two other games this year obviously the loss to Iona which caught them off guard and then they had a little bit of a struggle against South Alabama um I I still think that uh Nate Oates knows what he's doing I think this is a team that is going to be challenging uh to be the the top of the SEC again this year I I think you know it could have been you know, Memphis was coming off a four-game losing streak. They needed a win. Penny Hardaway or put the fear of God into those guys. And, you know, they came out and punched Alabama in the face. Now, the, I, I think we're going to see what Memphis is made of. We'll see how they play against Tennessee on Saturday and see if they can keep the momentum up. But, you know, this could be a, you know, this could be another disappointment for you know, for, for, uh, for Memphis, you know, I, I heard somebody say that Memphis is kind of like this, the best AAU team in the country right now. So we'll, we'll see if they can, you know, we talked about teams that have kind of had a rough start and have needed, uh, have needed to really come together. I think Michigan is one of those teams. Memphis is probably the other team. So we'll see if they can kick off from here. I want to wrap this up uh, with one final thing, and that is the COVID cancellations in college. Obviously, we have not seen the last of this. I think that it's very likely we see a lot more. IUPUI women's team had to forfeit three games early. Um, Ohio State, UCLA, I believe both have started canceling play, and they're all in their protocols and following that. Cam, how many teams do you think are actually going to end up having to do this? And do you think it'll ever get bad enough to where we get another bubble NCAA tournament? I would hope not. I think we, I think I would hope that there is enough time and there is enough willingness to get boosters, um, you know, between here and March. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a particularly rough uh, two or three weeks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule. There are, Five games on Saturday that were canceled, you know, Ohio State and Kentucky, 
uh, Iona and Seton Hall, Grambling and Tulane, DePaul and Northwestern. Uh, DePaul's having a, a really good year under uh, Tony Stubblefield. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where I, it's it's isn't the we, certainly isn't the last that we've seen of it. Um, I, I hope that it's not going to get to that level, but you know, I wouldn't be surprised if um, I wouldn't be surprised if if you know every team may have one game get canceled or postponed. You know, just it, it, as as part of the, you know, as part of the just the system that, that we're seeing right now. You know, if you know, I I think you know you may have some athletic directors, you may have some coaches kind of look at the either like their travel or their, um, you know, or their schedule and be like, do we really need to play this last non-conference game? Um, you know, if you look at, we'll call it Indiana's schedule here um like okay so they they play obviously like that game against notre dame is probably not going to get canceled but you know they have a game on the 22nd against northern kentucky they have a game on the 29th against uh north carolina Asheville. like do we need to play that game on the 29th you know can we just can we give you know after that northern kentucky game or after even the notre dame game can we give the kids a week and a half to do what they need to do, you know, if they, if they, you know, get a, maybe get a little bit of a Christmas break and, you know, just try and stay healthy. That's always going to be the, that's going to be the challenge this year. You know, that's and, until this thing is over and done with, or until we have like 99% vaccination or whatever, or however much, however many we need, you know, you're going to, people are going to try and are going to need to stay healthy and they're going to need to stay smart. Um, I hope that I hope that we don't get any, you know, mass cancellations. I hope that you know teams can stay healthy, you know, and I hope that everyone stays stays safe. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see if we see an uptick in cancellations in the next two weeks to a month here. It appears that's all we have time for tonight. Uh, I want to say this: the IUPUI Chicago State under. Is at 103 with 31 seconds to go. Uh, Chicago State at the free throw line, probably going to hit under 119 and a half. So look at that, 10 and under the under. Congrats, Jags, another under. Mark, I want to thank you for joining me. I know it's taking time away from your wife on her off night. And Cam? No, she's actually hanging out with uh, her sister tonight, so I'm like. So this is an off night for you then. This is kind of an off night for me. Yeah, Man, I'm, go, I'm so upset. Uh, Zach, why didn't I have you throw 20 bucks on Chicago State Moneyline in the under? I, hey, man, that's a you question. <laughs> I, I was talking I, – I, I had I, – that thought popped into my mind multiple times today, and I never did anything. On, I never had anybody do it for me. Yeah, uh, this was this was the one of the easiest games we've been on all year. Chicago State was going to come in here and beat IUPUI, and they've been in control of this game since the tip. So – uh, that's all we're going to talk about tonight. Be on the lookout for more content from us. I've got some people I want to talk to, maybe a potential WNBA star upcoming uh, from my APUI, actually, uh, who I've gotten to know over the last couple of weeks. And nice. uh, potentially a lottery pick for the WNBA upcoming. Uh, that's spicy. 
And I know uh, she would look uh, pretty awesome in a fever uniform, and they do have uh, two of the top six picks. That's going to be it for the Six Fan Podcast. Thanks so much for listening wherever you are. Have a wonderful day, and be sure to follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash six underscore man underscore pod.